And welcome back to welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, along with Lauren and our special guests, Sakile and John Midi. And I'm not saying Sakile's last name because I don't know it. What's your last name? It's Nlovu. And that's why I didn't know because <laughs> I would butcher it. I know. <laughs> Tell I have what to it means, phonetically so. spell it every time I'm on a phone call or anything because I'm people want to be polite and so they want to call you like Miss Nlovu and I'm like it's okay. You can just call me with my first name. It, don't what, bother. What does it mean? It means, uh, so it actually means elephant if it's like a direct translation. Okay. Um, but where I come from, we go by a lot of totems. So totems are like our ancestry names and names that our forefathers had. So I have about 13 names that if somebody wants to really bless me and represent the Nlovu surname, they would say, you know, Nlovu, Manimejo, and there's a couple of like 13 other totem names that they would use to oh call me. Oh my goodness. Me. So yeah, elephant is is a direct translation of Interesting. Ndovu. Interesting. And you know, that's actually a great segue into my first uh, topic here. So we've been we've been talking about racism on our last episode and on this episode as well. And uh, you know, one of the things though that I I think is so important for us to realize is that equality does not mean sameness. And God created a diversity. And, and that's such a beautiful thing that you share about the etymology of your name and the blessing of, you know, the heritage there. And there's so much we can admire in other cultures. You know, what, what do you admire in, in cultures that are not your own? Oh, man, there's so much <laughs> history, food, music, especially music. And surprisingly, I'm on the side of, you know, every culture, no matter where you come from, have gone through adversity. And that adversity is something that we can all relate to. If you think about um, people from the uh, German culture, they went through World War II where there was some that prospered, but there's many that struggled. You know, And so that struggle we can relate to as African-Americans where we went through slavery and civil rights movement, they understand. You can never say to another person, you don't know what adversity is. Because we've all gone through it. Even if it's a loss of a dog or, mm. you know, mm. um, struggle at school to get that A, you know, we've all gone through it. And so learning a person's story through sometimes their artwork, through their music, or understanding the history of where they come from is something that intrigues me. And that's how I relate to others. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the the family-centric nature of, of so many African families that I've seen. Like, as, as you mentioned, you're knowing, knowing your forefathers and your forefathers' history. Mm. Um, I don't know that, you know, and I don't know my extended family very well. And, and oftentimes you'll see that in other cultures. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, we have, sometimes you can even carry it as your middle name. Like I know with my mom, her middle name is Mahamba, but like all her siblings have that name. And that's like, my grandfather's first name. Mm. And so, you know, sometimes lineage continues through our names. So we take a lot of pride in our names, our last names, our totems. So I get very offended when people mispronounce my name and I'm like, you don't understand. This <laughs> came from a very, 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 very long time ago. So yeah. let's let's try. So yeah, <laughs> I, love, yeah. I, lo- I love the history behind it. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and the faith that's been so purified oftentimes, especially in Haitian American culture. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was assigned at St. John's Basilica for two and a half years where I met all of you all. Mm-hmm. And it's a very Haitian community, probably about a third Haitian, I would imagine. And, and the expressiveness of their faith, you know, just like crying out, amen, hallelujah, waving <laughs> the hands and singing. And it's just, 
it's a whole body worship experience. Yeah. And we as Americans don't have that. And we should, you know, we should be more expressive in our faith. Yeah. Amen to that, Father. Because actually, I don't know if you know this, but um, Haiti is the number one Catholic um, a black community or largest black community in the world. Really? Yeah, which is incredible. And so we're faithful. We are grateful and blessed. You know, and so even when you have the Haitian community coming to places like Connecticut, they are um, they kind of huddle together and try to find the nearest Catholic church and maintain that culture of singing and um, praising the Lord out loud, which is very different than the American culture. Um, but it's diversity in itself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's a reason uh, my favorite times of the year in terms of the of our mass and just being in church is Christmas time and Easter is because I feel like that's when the church comes alive, especially at St. John's because I miss that. I miss celebrating mass and like in Zimbabwe, it's almost similar. We have drums, we have, you know, people the Gloria to me is like the most magical moment during mass. And we, to me, it's so subdued. And, and sometimes I'm like yearning just to be like, guys, <laughs> he's alive. I don't understand, you know? So um, I, I thoroughly enjoy Easter um, time at St. John's and, and Christmas time, because that's when I feel like we really do celebrate that. It's not as, you know, there's no ululating or, or or drums or anything like that, but I feel alive during those moments. So, and absolutely. oftentimes the, the the masses in Africa are longer than an hour. Yeah, mm. like significantly longer. There's so much singing. Mm -hmm. We sing through everything, and so it just takes everything is like a two to three minute song mm. outside of the mass. Yeah. So if you add all of that, you know, we sing um, from the entrance all the way to. Gloria um, and, you know, our Lamb of God, um, the Holy, we, si we sing everything, mm. anything that is supposed to be us, um, res our responses, mm -hmm. all sung. Beautiful. So you can imagine how long that takes outside of like the mass, which is probably 30 minutes outside of our responses. <laughs> so it takes about an hour, mm. an hour, 30 minutes or so. And you always sing? Me personally, yeah. absolutely. Oh, great! Mm -hmm. I'm tone deaf, <laughs> but I show up. <laughs> Americans don't uh, sing. No, they do just, not. They I don't. Keep mouth shut. Oh, I, I went back to uh, St. Catherine's last week for mass, where they were singing the Gloria and the Lamb of God, and that's the yeah. church I grew up in. And after I don't know what a uh, year and a half of St. John's with very little singing. <laughs> I felt alive again, right? Yeah. Right, and it's like I love to sing. Like I need to be going to masses where they're singing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Praise and worship is a form of of prayer mm -hmm. in and of itself, mm -hmm. and so I think that we need to reinvigorate that. Yeah. Say, John's. I mean, oh, yeah. I wouldn't even mind even if there's different times. Like, let's say uh, the first mask is for families where there's more modern music, and then the second mask, of course, is Gregorian chants. You know, but different times of the day during Sunday there is a different approach that we provide during mass and that would bring you'd be surprised how many more people would come to the church yeah that. and you um you'd encourage folks to under learn more about the different cultures that we have within our beautiful country 
Yeah, yes, because you know? yeah. we're quite diverse. Even the Latinos, right? The Latinos, yeah. they bring a lot. <laughs> the guitars, you know, <laughs> yeah. they yeah. they get. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they bring a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, Love there used passion. to be a Haitian mass at St. John's mm-hmm. at six p.m. When I first moved here, somebody told me about it, and yeah. maybe uh, I don't know if this was a form of uh, we call them microaggressions, right? It's not a form <laughs> of racism, but somebody approached me and said, you know. You might really enjoy the 6 p.m. mass. It's the Haitian mass at St. John's. Like, yeah, that must be Creole. (laughs) I was like, I don't understand Creole at all, but thank you for the plug. (laughs) (laughs) They were trying to be helpful. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of microaggressions, that's a good uh, segue into kind of a little bit more controversial choppy waters. Because, you know, over the last year and year and a half, of course, the discussion about race has been very much in our culture and and of course, the Black Lives Matter movement has definitely cropped up and been very much in the headlines. And and uh, you know, I think everyone hopefully can agree with the statement "Black Lives Matter" definitely mm-hmm. without qualification. Um, but the movement, what's your what's your opinion? And can Catholics be a part of this movement? Oh yes, Catholics can be a part of the movement. Um, of course, the origin of the movement was really to focus on providing equality, to provide opportunity, to embrace the differences and appreciate the diversity that we have in this country. Yes, it starts with the black um, community, but it's actually not only for the black community, it's for minorities in general, too. And so, you know, we want to emphasize that as well. So when we are doing the marches, you know, it's to encourage people to learn more about who we are and what we can bring to society, what we've already brought to society and how we can break the barriers of the systemic racism that's happening. And so as a Catholic church, we all about love, right? And following God's um, uh, mission and especially number one always is to follow, you know, love God, number one. Um, but number two in the commandments is to love your neighbors, right? And so by supporting uh, something like this is very similar to pro-life. Pro-life is uh, critical, right? It's supporting um, a, a person that's in the body to be born, to do God's will, to one day go to heaven. And so as a minorities, we are in the same boat, right? We are um, humans. We are supposed to um, help each other get to heaven. And but See, that's, I think, an important, an important distinction because uh, the, the movement itself, Black Lives Matter, um, uses terms f- about revolution and not about love, mm. you know. And I think I think um, maybe some of their goals are very good, but some of their goals really are trying to um, bring about change in, in a way that's combative rather than f- through love. I'm glad you mentioned that. If you go back to civil rights movement, there was a combination of Martin Luther King, who was through love and through peace, and then there was Malcolm X, who had this more of like a we need a fight for our rights. And so it, it comes from different perspectives, understanding um, where they come from. Like some people have tried the peace and they've tried their best to kind of create change through love and kind of talking it out, but nothing has happened. So some folks have been frustrated and trying to do, you know, what else can they do? But mm. kind of be more um, ambitious and resistant to what the common... Um, ethical ways of doing things. And so I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, and so I I do encourage our brothers and sisters to go back to the peace and to realize that 
the peace is actually something that will do more change than the whole um, revolting and trying to be extra um, using power to create change, you know? Yeah. Because um, as we saw the riots last summer, mm-hmm. you know, some people were saying, well, that's just the expression of a, a people that's been oppressed. And as true as that may be, you do look at, you know, in that contrast between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, I think one is held up as a hero mm-hmm. and one is has kind of a checkered um, maybe legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, Malcolm yeah. X and his, and certainly the Black Panthers and things like that. And you kind of said, well, was that really the best? I mean, Martin Luther King accomplished things. And I think his his death was the spark really for much of the civil rights movement. Yeah, but it, I don't think he accomplished things in a silo. So it took a whole community and a, and a whole movement yes. for him mm-hmm. to accomplish that. So I think people play different roles within the movement. And I do think there is room for the Catholic Church to play a role. Mm-hmm. It's not to say we have to all be in agreement of the entire movement and how it's being manifested, but I think everybody has a role to play. And 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 once we start looking into the semantics of the movement, like I remember having conversations last year with some of my friends and they were like, well, did you even Google the organization? Did you see what their mission statement is? It goes against Catholic teaching. And I was like, for me, it's not about the organization per se. It's about what is actually going on in my community. And am I listening to a group of people who are crying out for help, who are crying out to be heard? And I think in that context, the Catholic Church has room to play a role, whether it's through love, whether it's through discipleship, whether it's through being an ally to the black community. I definitely think there's more that we can do as a church. So more than a role, perhaps, perhaps the church should take a leadership Absolutely. role in, in that. As you know, I often see photographs and videos of Catholic priests linking arms, m- marching in yeah. the civil rights movements. And and I think I think if you, if perhaps you know, some of us may be called, and maybe some of our listeners may be called to to form some sort of movement that's a, that's a response to the Black Lives Matter movement that really embodies the Catholic principles of mm-hmm. racial equality and justice. Absolutely. Um, but does it through through love and not through a desire for a, a, just kind of a class warfare mm. you know, revolution. A hundred percent. And I think, John, you mentioned um, the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's it's almost like, let's bring the same energy for with that. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're, pr- and I know at St. John's, as part of our petitions, we pray for the end to legalize abortion every Sunday. And so why are we not praying for the end to systemic racism every Sunday? I see those things um, the same. And I think there's room for us to pray for all of those things, for the end of sure. any type of um, of hatred and, and discrimination against our brothers and sisters. And also to remember as Catholics, it starts at home, right? Um, we when we're speaking to our kids, do not ignore the racist conversation or the the conversation about racism. You know, if a child says, oh, mommy, like, why is, or why are these people yelling and shouting on the streets? You know, you don't respond by saying, oh, they're just doing a movement. This doesn't matter. But rather, you know what? This movement is important because we're trying, they're trying to speak their voices out there um, to encourage people to um, listen to them and um, promote equality. And understanding, um, and so even what's Father Joseph has been a blessing because you know at St. John's he was um, the priest there, and during his homilies he would encourage people to love one another and even um, uh, be a part of 
uh, making a change and um, understanding one another and loving each other, not judging. Because in the end, sometimes these situations or movements become political. When it's not political, it's really um, situational and people voicing themselves and they really want to be heard. And so rather Father Joseph would say, hey, love your brothers and sisters, listen to what they have to say, and you know, uh, provide them with Christ-centered relationship with love and help them in accomplishing their goals to um, uh, do what's right in society. How would God approach it? You know, and, and that's important. I think that's what's key is that you you can't uh, end any sort of sin without God. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, especially if this is a sin. And because part of the reason why racism is wrong, really the reason is because all of us are made in the image and likeness of God. And so from a purely secular standpoint, which a lot of the media wants to say is, you know, we just have to end it because it's you know, what we're supposed to do, but you lack the philosophical grounding. And, and if I can see you as a brother and sister in Christ, then it's so much easier to love you yeah. because I see Christ in you. I see you know, the dignity that you have before God versus I see you as the enemy versus you, that you as the oppressor or whatever it is, mm. as the oppressed person, but rather a brother or a sister. Amen. And, yeah. and we all know that um, the Catholic community has a lot of different people with great gifts. And you know, a lawyer can also participate in um, providing, you know, petitions or, you know, helping in maybe um, legal cases to end some of the systemic issues. Or a counselor may help with someone who's going through a crisis, a mental health uh, challenge, mm-hmm. um, who might have been traumatized through a racist act. You know, so we as a Catholic community can make a difference through actions, utilizing our gifts that the Lord has provided to us. Yeah. So closely connected with that Black Lives Matter movement has been the critical race theory, which has been constantly debated. And uh, I I don't know if any of you have a good definition for it, because there's a lot of components to it, it seems to me. And sometimes it seems, you know, compatible, and sometimes it seems incompatible with our Catholic faith. What what have you heard about it? Could you boil it down to a sentence or two, or about what it means, or... Oh, oh man. So I feel like I'm back in like college and I'm like about to like submit my test. But I'll do my I'll I'll try um to describe it in the way I understand it. And I think it's for me, it's twofold. There's the critical race theory, which is the academic resource tool that has been used as a way to explain or to break down the concept of racism. And then what's going on now is a conversation around, well, how is this tool being utilized? And mm. and I think the biggest conversation is, um, how, do we introduce this into the school system? Do we add it into right. the curriculum? And so I think the critical race theory conversation has evolved into a philosophical debate at this point where it was simply an academic tool mm-hmm. that was being used to help deconstruct um, the concepts of racism and and the history behind it. Sure, sure. That's that sounds like a great definition. I think you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay me. Exactly. <laughs> Yay you. And but um, just to go deeper into it too is there's it's to provide more historic information about what has happened over the past several century, starting from slavery to the civil rights to um, what we experience now and just explaining why we are in the situation that we're in today. So there's no 
sides that we pick is more of uh, a perception from both sides of the story to help us fully grasp the um, the historic um, situation that we are in mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of the times people are like, "Well, oh, this is against white people because um, they're supp- they're saying that it was because of whites that slavery occurred." Mm, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's complicated. It's history complicated, is history exactly. is complicated. It's complicated and it's painful. Mm. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people are internalizing that pain when we really shouldn't be internalizing that pain. It's more um how do we recap what happened in in history so that we learn from it and we don't repeat the same mistakes. Yes, yeah. So, I think if we all just let go of internalizing it and 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 receiving it as so if i'm a white person i'm inherently racist no that's not i don't i don't think that's the message behind this theory i think the message is let's learn exactly how we got there let's learn what happened and why it was so wrong so that we can even teach our children not to repeat those same mistakes they can be just yeah. as appalled to the way it happened in in our history books and and we can accurately capture that and not i i feel like sometimes the capturing is is a little you know slavery is spoken about in certain curriculums and not in other curriculums and there's like so many sides of of, of the same story and so mm-hmm. if we try to capture it accurately people can then respond to it accurately we can then all move on as a society knowing this was so wrong and these are the active steps we're doing now so that we don't repeat those same mistakes yeah yeah and i do agree the Catholic Church should, you know, participate in understanding this, um, this concept because the Catholic Church is all about the being academically um, well versed to um, making sure that people are getting closer to God. And so, in order for us to get close to God, we have to understand one another. Too. Yeah. And so we can't you know, block. Well, well, I think that the important distinction is what you made, Sakila, and then in, in saying that. Uh, as long as critical race theory is, uh, it helps us to understand the history and to understand the mistakes that were made so that they're not repeated, then it can be very compatible with our Catholic faith and very good. Mm. Um, but it does sometimes cross the line in some curriculum where it does say, well, simply because you are white, you are racist, you are yeah. complicit. And it does that doesn't jive with the understanding of racism as a sin. So a lot of times, in, I think in the culture, they'll talk about racism as a structural sin, which is uh, certainly it's, there's structural racism, but sin is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I cannot be guilty of another person's sin because I, I mean, if we don't attribute to modern day Germans the sin of their Nazi forefathers, mm-hmm. right? We make the distinction and say what they did was wrong and don't ever do that again, but you're not them. Yeah. Even if you may be even descended from them, you're not them. You know, yeah. and, and that I think is an important distinction that, that a lot of critical race theory proponents don't make. Mm. That that they think that well, you're tainted because you've had slavery in your past. You're you know, mm. ten generations ago, whatever, five generations ago, and 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 uh, particularly, I think. Um, tell me if you have an opposite opinion. I'm not saying this is gospel truth, but a lot of times it's referred to as America's original sin, mm. and certainly that's a it's a. a time period in our history that 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 was absolutely unequivocally wrong but that doesn't make america bad mm. it doesn't make our country bad it doesn't make um you know our our heroes like jefferson and washington bad men uh, in part because i think we have to look at the past with a little bit of compassion mm-hmm. 
in the fact that, you know, that was something that was so widespread and it was not considered to be wrong. Yeah. You know, now, of course, we know better and, we, and I would never you know, acknowledge that it's a good thing, but. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, having been in the space of, you know, learning and development, you know, that's my practice area. We believe in in growth and development all the time. And so even myself, I, there's a, people talk about the cancel culture now, right? And mm-hmm. so um, you mentioned like our forefathers who, yes, right now people are sort of looking back and saying, oh, that was bad. But at that time, you're right um, in that we need to have a an empathetic ear and an empathetic uh, lens into looking at, well, at that time, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on. And I think even for myself, if I look back at, how I was five years ago, or how I was <laughs> 10 years ago, I shudder to think if somebody were to go into my social media now <laughs> and dig yeah. up a tweet I tweeted 10 years ago, you may find something that I could be canceled for. Sure, And I sure. think people, we need to allow one another the space to grow and develop yeah. because if we are not growing and we're not coming to the conversation with an ear to learn and to hear one another out, then we're, you know, all the effort is for nothing. And so even with the critical race theory, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I am saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it because it's a tool to help us capture the accurate history of what happened so that we can learn from it, so that we can grow from it. And if there's any pain in the process, we need to work through that pain together. I don't think it should be a tool that's used to ostracize the other side or to make anybody else feel guilty for their heritage. As much as I'm proud to be black, you should be proud of your heritage. You should be proud to be white, Asian, you know, whatever race you are. And And American, yeah. And American, Mm -hmm. you know, we should all carry that pride in our hearts and we want to be better as a society. It's not about, you know, pointing at one another and saying you're wrong and I'm right. Human beings are very complex and we can have people, every human being really, except for Jesus and Mary, did both good things and bad things, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I even look at Martin Luther King who himself did some tremendous things and in his personal life, he was actually kind of a mess. He cheated <laughs> on his wife several times, you know, yeah. but but so you, you look at the good thing, you take the good things of what people have done in the past and you, you have mercy on, on, the, the, on the, bad. the bad things that they've done. Absolutely. I think mercy is the is the right way to, to look at it. Everybody needs a little bit of mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. Do you have any fi- final comments or thoughts? Uh, it's just been a pleasure to have you both on the show and... It'd be wonderful to continue the conversation, Father Joseph. Indeed. Maybe we need a third episode somewhere down the line. Well, you know where to find us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, thank you for your honesty. Uh, I especially appreciate that because I have to admit I was nervous about this episode Mm -hmm. more than any other because I know it's a raw topic. It's a topic that's uh, sensitive and we wanted to hopefully deal with it with sensitivity, but knowing that, that the love which binds us together in Christ is much deeper than anything that divides us. And certainly the th- our skin color and our heritage should not divide us. Mm-hmm. We should rather make us praise God for the wide diversity that he created, which is such a beautiful cornucopia, you know, beautiful rainbow. Amen. Amen to that. So, God is good. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. On behalf of John, Sekile, and Lauren, we're signing off. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, 
and uh, any other social media that we might happen to have. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren's in charge That's of that it, part. Those two. <laughs> That's, okay, there we go. Find us on the socials. On the socials, yep. <laughs> Join us next time. God bless. Goodbye. Bye.